me introduce to you one of my dear friends, partners. Uh-oh, Nate shaved his beard. He oh, said, no. <clears throat> um, co-worker, Doug and I work together every day, almost all day. Have a high, I have a high, high level of respect for him. Global leader, author, incredible speaker, prophet, apostle. Well, okay, maybe that's a little far, but I'm at, Doug's going to talk a little bit about himself, but but many of you know Doug, or I've heard from him before. He is a prolific author and leader, planted a church epiphany in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, just recently, a few months ago, spoke on the Senate floor. It was incredible, sat in between Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. So I watched a whole three or four hours, and I was trying to text him at the same time, get that hand sanitizer on. And so, uh, anyways, welcome to Doug Logan. All right, Doug. So, first of all, welcome. And then tell us a little bit about your background, your journey into pastoral ministry, man. Just give us kind of the story of Doug Logan. Well, man, first, it's so great to be here, man, and praising God for all those listening. You've probably heard half of my story, so some of them are going to be remixed. So I'll just lie a little bit to make it sound better. Um, well, yeah, man. Um, Came to know Christ in 1996, one night, and got married the next morning. Um, the girl I was with, who was my wife for 25 years, she said, so you um, you want me to go to church and stuff with you now? The atheist girlfriend I was dating. And like, like pray to God and stuff? I said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So she said, yeah. So we went to the Justice of the Peace and got married in the morning. And I was preaching the worst sermon you ever heard within the next two weeks because I thought salvation meant preaching. So I started preaching the worst unbiblical sermons, cliche sermons you ever heard. So yeah, man. So 96, man, got married, came to know Christ, began to serve um, with my cousin in Philly, got discipled by an old white OPC pastor. OPC stands for Orthodox Presbyterian Church or... It stands for the Mole Presbyterian Church, and um, edit that, and um, and yeah. So, man, the Lord saved me. I got called to a historic, an, an older white church, about 100 years old. I was one of the first black members, um, the black first black member, and I was the pastor. Pastor there for some years. That's why I met you when we were out Seattle back in the day. Um, I got my I got assessed in Driscoll's old office, and um, yeah, so we were there and. Yeah, man, I just had a deep burden for planting churches in the urban context um, because uh, as a reformed dude, man, reformed dude, reform didn't mean I hate Arminians and people. Reform for me meant that, man, it was a lens by which I saw what I learned later was soteriology, that God's saving power, unlike the community I grew up in that got done dirty by government and different things. God didn't do dirty. That his salvation was for all. And there was inherent dignity because of this thing, Amago Day. I didn't speak Latin, but I learned fast because I like Amago Day. And then, man, that idea, and then I read the minor prophets, and they were in a messy hood like mine, and yet they still had hope because the promises of God, shoot, I'll be reformed. I like that. And so that was for me, that was me. And, and I wanted to, so in learning that and being mentored, you know, um, with a healthy reformed theology, not an angry one, um, man, I just wanted to see that on the block. So by God's grace, I wound up serving at that church for some years, gave that church away, went into a residency with Dr. Eric Mason, my spiritual pop, and 10th Presbyterian Church. So I was mentored by Paul Tripp, Phil Riken, and Eric Mason in the same year. Imagine preaching after them three dudes, which I did for two years. I felt, ugh, Paul Tripp gets up. Doug, you're next week. I'm, I don't want to preach next week. And Eric Mason gets up. Doug, you're next week. No, I don't want to do it. So um, them dudes could preach. They love me, built me an angel of in crazy, crazy ways. And then, um, yeah, man, they sent me to Camden, 2011, did the residency for two years. And fell in love with the city of Camden, fell in love with the beauty and the brokenness of the city and jumped in there, man. So that was my journey. Got ordained in the PCA back in 08. Um, um, 
snuck out of there in 2018 by God's grace. I'm a Baptist again. And um, I guess I am. I don't know what I am. I'm just homeless. I'm a Baptitarian. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, man. So that's my journey into that. Of course, I've been around Acts 29 since 05. I think my assessment started around 05 and man, had the joy of planting Epiphany Camden and at Epiphany Camden, we planted about six, seven churches. And I was adopted by a few other pastors after that. About 12 dudes called me their spiritual father, man. And I'm just happy to serve them, serve the network. And yeah, man, that's my journey into pastoral ministry and where I landed. So Doug, tell us a little bit more about Camden, New Jersey, because I, when I first met you, you know, you were, my name is probably before Camden, New Jersey, but you, so, so you grew up in the North Atlantic, listening to that wacky East Coast rap. And, and Doug and I like to make fun of each other over East Coast, West Coast, and so, but you planted a church in Camden, New Jersey. Now, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I tell you that one time you and I were on the phone several years ago, and you had to lay down on the street while we were on the phone because bullets were going by. Now, yeah, man. I yeah, was dropping. Tell us I was about dropping. Camden. What well, Camden ministry in Camden like? Yeah, well, Camden is so geographically, guys. It's right across the Walt Whitman Bridge. So I could be at ten. I could be at the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixer Stadium in three miles from my door. I I lived about a two hundred feet, a hundred feet from the Walt Whitman Bridge from my door. I could walk to the Walt Whitman Bridge. Matter of fact. You know, some people walk across the Ben Franklin to jog because they, they got the jogging trail. So I could walk. The bridge is the bridge was touching my block. So that's how close we are. So Eric Mason lives in Philadelphia. I can get to the Eagle Stadium before him. I can get there in a few miles. When I put in the GPS grocery store near me, Philadelphia addresses come up. That's how close I was. So that's the geographic. Yet you need, you almost need to go through customs to go from Philadelphia to Camden based on the roughness of Camden out of the past, when I was, I got there in 2011 and up to that point out of the past 20 years, 12 of those years, it was the most dangerous, most violent, most poor city in America. Um, a history of decadence, a history of some of the highest, the some of the worst um, literacy in the country, some of the highest poverty, highest crime rate. Um, we had we had a second city in our city, which was abandoned houses. So there was a whole city of abandoned houses throughout the city. So it was a rough and tumble, violent, poor, beautiful city, man, that I love so much. And I was honored and blessed to be able to be sent there. I was an enemy to God. so. When you let your enemy work for you and then call him your son, any job he gives you is a good job. And so I was happy to be in Camden because I'm messed up like Camden folk because I'm from Patterson and I had some doggone fun. So Camden was rough, rugged and raw. But, um, you know, God did so much sanctification in my soul through there. And also, man, bro, we don't have some of these corny, ridiculous nonsensical debates and arguments in Camden ministry. They never heard of half the people that's fighting in evangelicalism. <laughs> like they start arguing about at, at big conferences, those conversations don't make it to the block. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with, <laughs> you know, they dealing with egalitarianism. I'm dealing with, you know, gang wars. Big theologians, stuff like that, yeah. yeah, big theologians are arguing topics. <laughs> I'm arguing, yo, can we get some filters for this water because there's rust in it? And so they never heard of half that stuff. Like um, somebody, I remember a visitor came to the church, B, when we was in Camden and they were Presbyterian. I love them, they're fine. But they started talking about a Presbyterian work. And then one, after that, one of the members, old, old head from the block said, Pastor Diddy, why that woman kept calling you Presbyterian? What is that? <laughs> See, they didn't even know what that was. Right. And so it was a beautiful, beautiful time. It was great to pastor there. It was rough. I mean, um, 
It wasn't short of violence. And let me say this, guys, and I'm going to say this and take the next question. In. Listen, I'm African-American from the hood. I'll never get used to the violence and decadence of the hood. So people say Doug is so cut out for it because he's from the hood. I'll never get used to murder and violence. I had a hard time, but folks said, you know, Doug loves it. Yeah, I, I cry after exercise. Um, it's good for me, but it's painful. And so, you know, I never got used to that. I never did well watching 15 year olds get buried um, from gang wars. I never got used to, I never thought, well, it's part of the hood, like it was regular. No, I was not gonna allow myself to get numb to death, depravity and decadence. I was gonna continue to be fueled by the faith of the gospel, by my trust in Christ, that it's gonna be a better day. That's not reserved for Justin Timberlake songs. Man, that's, 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 that's in the Bible. And so, yeah, man, so I just, had a, I just had some fun. I had so much fun because as an entrepreneur, I was able to build out stuff and I didn't have to fight with some theological positioning. If we said, we're gonna do this, people will be like, okay. I said, we're gonna baptize full immersion. They said, okay. I said, I wanted to sprinkle a poor. Okay, I guess that's Christian. And so I, about 50% of our church was converts. So we saw so many new Christians with the craziest questions. I remember one time a dude got saved and he said, yo, Pastor Diddy, do I have to hold my hands like that when I pray for God to hear it? I, I said, you know, that is one of the most ridiculous, beautiful questions I've ever heard. He, it's just some raw, honest Jesus life. I loved it, bro. So yeah, man, but that, that was life in Camden. It was beautiful and broken all in the same pot. Um, so it was bitter herbs and, and That's Doug, unfortunately. Looks like we lost him for a second. Doug will be back in a second. He uh, got a little worked up and his camera shut down. There he Am I back? Am I back? Yeah, yeah. The, the internet can't <laughs> handle you, man. <laughs> and to answer your question, B, yes, bro. I was dropping my car off on the block in Camden. And right at the spot while I was dropping it off, Jokers was having an argument about something. And I'm on the phone with you, B, and next thing you know, bro, um, them jokers just started shooting at each other. And here's the thing about most people in the hood. They don't go to the shooting range. So they don't know how to shoot well. See, I go to the range and practice. But you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm like the black John Wick, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, but jokers <laughs> on the block don't go. So you start shooting and bullets everywhere. So I was all the way across the street behind a car and I said, B, I gotta, hold on one second, they shooting, let me get down. And he was like, what are you talking about? And it bing, 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 bing. Now they on the other side of the street in front of each other. Why are the bullets over by me? I don't understand. <laughs> don't know how to shoot. But yeah, so that's a true story. <laughs> All right. Oh man. Hey, Doug, I, uh, you're known for a lot of things like preaching and urban ministry and a lot of the things at Grimkey, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. I would love to, to hear you talk about just like, what makes you go? Like what, what about ministry makes your heart just go wild, right? You talk about like the, you know, the, the toughness of urban ministry, you love it, but it's, but it's hard, man. What, what makes you shine? What makes you flourish and, and what feels like, yeah, this is, this is what I was built for. Well, you know, keeping it real, big, big just the urban context in in evangelicalism and in the reform world, from seminaries to to um, different avenues of conferences of books. Man, that stuff. This like that stuff don't exist. Like. We don't have urban apologetic books about, like if you go to any conservative reform seminary, man, there's not stuff for the hood in most of those schools at all. And so now I've got to read 
you know, all my stuff, all the stuff up here, you know, that is written by very few African-Americans, of course, Tony Evans, amen, good and faithful, um, praise God for the CSB. And um, you know what I'm saying? And so I had to do that, become the Rosetta Stone to that, to my disciples. So we had to keep taking from our white brothers their chicken, and then we had to put our barbecue sauce on it and recook it so that it would be palatable for the block. I got a problem with that because all nations in, 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 in um, Matthew 20, 28 tells me that that's all nations. And so when I got to seminary, it wasn't all nations, it was some nations and it excluded so many people. So what gets me excited? Writing books, putting together content for the next generation of leaders so that they're not pigeon-held or, or, or lacking resources to really engage the block. And so now I don't wanna be the bottleneck to this. Like I get a lot of phone calls from people all the time about you know urban ministry, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, we gotta get some resources out there. So that's the beauty in Acts 29, man. Like, like bro, we're trying to build a resource center, the remedy center, I call it for urban resources, books we want to publish, conferences, TED Talks, blogs, podcasts, so that in this next generation, my mixed children, my Puerto Rican grandkids, and their generation, they will be able to reach on the shelf like my white brothers do and reach to hear about their cultural context and go to a seminary for their cultural context. And then I got to go there, translate their stuff get good grades in their school and then come home and not use it. But I got to recook it for my block. And I just want to be able to send people to a place where they can learn in context, understanding that and produce resources, not as sidebars, but as part of the main dish. I don't want urban ministry to be the parsley. I want it to be a part of the ribeye so that it's a part of that pantheethne, that all nations. And so I'm jazzed about books, content. I love that, man, because, man, me and Brian, 50. Man, if God gives us 25 more, bro, I got kids and grandkids. So if I got 25 more, it's really 20 because I'm, man, I've been eating bad for years. I ain't gonna live long. So um, I wanna make sure that, that me, I do my part in a multi-generational investment so that I leave here better, leaving more for a legacy of grace for the next generation of urban leaders. That's my big deal. So I love that. Um, I love that. And Acts 29 has afforded that for me. They let me play free safety so I can build those things out. That's awesome. Love that. Cool. And um, I love breeding dogs, American bullies. I get jazzed. Yeah, so, so we didn't even All ask right. you that. So, but tell us what are the, so just going off script here to the personal Doug Logan, what are two or three things you love to do? Cause I know one time you were out here in California speaking where I live and you were out visiting people that dog breeders, what are the, what, what, what do you love to do in your off time? Man. Well, I'm a bootleg Toyota forerunner enthusiast. So I go to some junkyards and get parts for my 1999 third generation Toyota 4Runner Limited. I do that. I'm enjoying that, and um, and I scare I scare some of my my brothers, some of these 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 nice little not brothers, but you know some of these cats because they they see me pull up and they're like, oh gosh, I don't know if he's got the complexion to make the connection, you know. So they look at me and they they're so great. They, they say it's you. And you know, I pull up with polo and stuff, and they're and you know they got on boots and cowboy hats. So most of those dudes uh, are in the woods. So I love I love doing that. Um, man, I've been breeding dogs most of my life. A part of my ministry was New City Bullies in Camden. When I got to the hood in Camden, everybody had a pit bull bully. So Paul told me be all things to all people. So I told the elders, we're gonna invest in some bullies, which were very expensive. And we're going to go to dog shows and try to lead people to Jesus. By God's grace, we did. So I love dogs, love breeding dogs. And um, man, on some real talk, I love some straight up yard work, bro. 
So I live on about three acres, man. So I love cutting grass and weed whacking and setting stuff up. I also, um, I'm a coffee snob. So I've got my own coffee line called Mood Swing. Me and my son, Aaron Logan, do that together. And a cigar line called Vialba, which is from Vialba, Puerto Rico. Um, so we've got our own cigar. We design our own cigars and we designed along with a company called Grit, um, Mood Swing Coffee. All right, man. Doug's got his, Doug's got a lot going. We're going to talk about Grimke in a minute because we, I want you all that are on this call right now to hear about Grimke Seminary because I'm super excited about that. Before we get there, just talk to us about your kind of, what's your role in Acts 29 right now? What do you do in Acts 29? What are you excited about Acts 29? What are you passionate about? What are you focused on? Hit us with some of that. Yeah. So, um, man, I've served in so many capacities in Acts 29. It's, um, you know, I'm sort of a weird bird, so I was homeless, so Acts 29 became a home because Acts 29 likes to house weird birds. And so I found my house, I found my home here, found my heart here, and I love serving. So, I, I mean, I've gone from board. I was one of the primary architects along with Mez McConnell on Church and Hard Places and Matthew Spangler-Davidson. Also, I was the architect for the diversity initiative um, that we built out back in 2017. Um, where I serve now in Acts 29 as associate director, um, you know, I'm like the Robin to Brian. Um, he's the real Batman. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, I used to be in Blacks 29 and then they let me in the big house. So, you know, and then. Um, <laughs> I think saying. you're the Batman. I'm the Robin. <laughs> so. so, yeah. So, you know, here's how I describe myself. I'm like a free safety. Um, you know, I'm here to help to catalyze and move us into Terra Nova, into, into new ground that will push us and, and, and propel us to be this comprehensive global diverse network that has a multi-generational impact in both resourcing, recruiting, and renewal in those three factors. So that's how I see myself. So I've, worked, I've, I've sought to work hard on some publishing for us. Um, because I think we need to be publishing for the next generation. Um, we'll talk about that later, but um, I, I, I felt like we need a seminary because we have a unique way of how we do ministry, church planning, you know, arrogant 29 year olds to just old 29 year olds now, um, which ain't 29 no more. And um, so I wanted to make sure that those things are being communicated. Secondly, um, yeah, so my role now is more like a free safety running that catalyst team. And what I do is I make sure as Brian casts vision that stuff don't fall through the cracks and the stuff that he sees, he encourages me and the stuff that he doesn't, that I don't see that he doesn't see. I say, B, we need, let's consider this and consider this. And he says, run with it. So like right now, Acts 29 Espanol jumping off and Acts 29 Urban and all these things, these, these, these things, these were little patches that were, that we could have jumped on and we did. So I've just been, Brian lets me play my entrepreneurial stuff. So man, I'm just, I'm just building many little small businesses within the big umbrella of, of Acts 29 to make sure that we are an actual diverse global family. And so I've been, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about being able to invite, you know, my, my grandfather was a rough dude. He wasn't a fan of white folk. And so I had white friends, not many, but a few. I couldn't bring them to my grandfather's house because he was gonna give them the business. And <laughs> he was gonna get them for 400 years. Even if they were 12, he was gonna still get them. He didn't care. So I'm so excited that we're trying to create a network where we can invite every nation, kindred and tongue to be a part of us as family. And that we want to thrust them into gospel ministry to see many and any, the least, last and the lost meet Jesus and the invisible church might be made visible through the preaching of the gospel. That's what I love doing. And so from publishing, to Spanish urban, to we call La Mescala, the mix of English speaking urban, to um, my role in urban ministry, to my role at 
my alma mater, all those factors helped me to help drive Acts 29 to be what we say we are. So we ain't double tonguing. We want to be single tongue. We love Jesus. We love reaching lost folk and we love planting churches. So it's my job to make sure along with the established vision that I'm making sure I'm working with my ED, my executive director to get that done to the glory of Christ until God takes us home. That's good stuff, man. Uh, I want to hear more about Grimke. Uh, we had Tony Morita on uh, last month and he talked a little bit about it, but I, I'd love to hear like all the stuff you're talking about with resources and stuff that, that speaks the language of urban centers. How is Grimke different than Southern, than some of these other great seminaries reform RTS and other seminaries that we like? But what, what is the vision of Grimke for being uniquely positioned for this moment and this culture? Well, the core here, um, Justin, is this. I'll start with a story so that I can take the tone off because we are different. In the first Iron Man, when he got caught by the terrorists and they put him in the cave, he did some ghetto ingenuity to live. And then they made him build this thing and he built this clunky big suit. He couldn't hardly walk in. But he hit the button, burnt the people up, took off. That suit wasn't necessarily a bad suit. It wasn't an evil suit. But when he got home to start tower. He built this nimble suit that could do this. So I'm not mad at the old seminaries. That suit was fine. But I, 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 we just trying to build a more nimble suit that's going to be more effective. The Issacharian in me wants to understand the times as the sons of Issachar. The Berean in me wants to make sure I'm teaching the Bible both theologically rich and culturally relevant without compromise of the gospel. And so that's the heart for us. So what makes us different is we are not training academics. We say no more than we say yes. And in, in the spirit of Spurgeon with his pastor's college, you kind of had to be a pastor. So our motto is pastors helping pastors for the church. So Justin, if you are at, if you want to come to Grimkey, you're gonna have to send me a letter from your pastor He's going to have to tell me you ain't crazy and a serial killer and that you tithe and that you love Jesus and your wife. And then you can come and then we'll, we can check in with him if you go crazy and deal with you. But we're pastors training pastors for the church. And I've tried to put together a constituency of practitioners and I'm in Acts 29. So that's easy. So almost everybody at Grimkey is Acts 29. More than 75% of the students are Acts 29 type guys. Um, because actually on, we were known for sending a guy who read 700 books, um, but hadn't been to seminary. So we get guys who've been passionate already. And then they come to, they go to seminary after they launched the planet, a pretty successful church. So that's unique to us. Second thing is, um, man. Yeah. And so I'm not just going to take a dude that says he wants to go to school. And I've got those emails. Like, yeah, I just want to go. What church you go to? I don't really go to church. We're not for you, bro. We're not for you. Last thing I want to do is train atheists to hate Jesus with my degree on them. I don't want that, bro. I want to train pastors for the church. So that's the uniqueness. That's the nimbleness. Second, last thing is accessible and affordable. We have intensives that are three days. You fly into Richmond, but 80% of the degree is online. $10,000 full program. That's the cap and gown at some seminaries. I'm $10,000 all thing. And I got Chick-fil-A. I got the Baptist bird ready for folk when they get there. And so $10,000 full program. And um, yeah, and we want to create. One thing I loved about Actually Nine, um, and Brian and I was talking about this with a bunch of Actually Nine pastors, that boot camp feel. Remember, Brian, that boot camp feel? That boot camp feel was raw and great. And 
You know, it was just beautiful. You felt pastor. You felt like your thoughts, you could process. You felt like you could say stuff that you couldn't say often from our traditional backgrounds. That's what I want Grimkey experience to be. So I don't want you to just come to school. That's easy. You could get an atheist to make a good Christian school with a curriculum. I want you to come be loved, pastored, and be family. And I want to shepherd you through your degree to make you a good shepherd. I'm, we don't do, well, my paper is late. You get skidding F. Nah, I got a cell phone. Um, I got an email. Bro, how you doing? I didn't get your paper. Everything okay? I love you, brother. That's how we want to do. We want to create an environment, an atmosphere of hope, and an environment of grace. An atmosphere of hope and an environment of grace at our school. We don't want you to come here and do survivor, survivor seminary. That's whack. That's 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 whack. We want you to walk away saying, I love Jesus, love my professors, I'm gonna plant this church, I'm gonna kill it for his name. Yeah, man, that's so good. I love it. I wish I hadn't already gone to seminary. Uh we'll I take, uh, we'll take you, we'll dismiss your grant your credits and let yeah. you start over. Yeah, Tip okay. Out. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I learned from Wayne Grudem. I mean, who is that guy even, right? Like compared to you and Tony and whatever. So, uh, hey, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. I love, you know, one of the things that I've learned most from you is around, you know, issues of diversity. And obviously that's been something that you've you've worked on a lot with Acts 29. And, and uh, you know, as someone who's not been directly involved, but, but been in Acts 29, I've just seen such progress um, in the network, uh, you know, through you and, and, Mason and all the other guys, Leons. Um, I would love to hear you talk about like, what are the things that we should be thinking about right now, right? So we, we get in culture, these kind of big moments of flare up when, you know, uh, an African-American man gets killed by the police or there's some, you know, some issue in culture and all of a sudden we all start talking about it and then it kind of slowly dies down. I, I would love to hear what are the things we should always be thinking about? And, and how should we always be thinking about issues of diversity, whether it's racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, all those different areas? How, what's the best way we can keep that conversation going when culture is not making us talk about it? Well, brother, I, we don't have a cultural disconnection problem only. We have a discipleship problem. The reason I think about it, because I was discipled to that reality, and that's a part of the meta narrative. That's a part of my great commission thought. That's a part of my great witness, Acts 1 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So, built into that, Jesus answered my questions of this black guy who hated white people, married a white girl, and had to make this work and figure it out because it was stupid. And I didn't even know why I hated white people other than I didn't like white people because I came from a group of people that didn't like white people. The Bible began to teach me Latin that I'd never heard of, Amago Dei. And, I, and those words coupled with revelation and coupled with pante te ethne in, in, in all nations, that those meant something to me. Those aren't theological terms for this guy, those are real words when I've been called the N-word, when I've been mistreated by Christians. So it's built into the fabric of who I am. And this is what I have to tell people. Man, we ain't going to get unified. If you're a Christian, we already unified. You better act like we unified because I ain't going nowhere. You can whine and cry, call me names all you want. I'm going to challenge your Christianity and I'm going to challenge your brotherhood. So we already unified, Justin. That's the problem. Folk talking about we got to get unified. I'm unified in Christ. You better act like a brother. And so therefore, second, so the discipleship problem is what? Have my white brothers been trained in the core of discipleship? I know y'all got Christology. Got that too. Got that too. Um, I know we got Hebrews. We got exposition. We got... We got creeds. I got the creed shaft up there. I got Athanasius Creed. I got co-equal, co-eternal Athanasius taught us. I got the confessions of Augustine. When are we going to talk about the gospel and race? Because if you and I had a confessional position about the gospel and race, almost all these creeds came off of fights. 
that could have divided the church, that were dividing the church, some gospel minds got together and said, prayed and fasted and wrote, and then the Apostles' Creed, and it was, a, it was recited every week. Athanasius' Creed fixed the fight. Dort fixed the fight. Westminster Confession fixed the fight. Hardeborg Catechism fixed the fight. None of them happened to talk about race. We need to get one of those with race so that you and I are on the same page. And I promise you, your kids and my kids get discipling that because somebody's discipling our kids because they get along better. My kids and Brian kids ain't got no problem. They think we crazy. They don't even understand our racist division and our arguments about George Floyd. They don't even understand it. They never heard of CRT, don't care. Now, Marxism, like, are you kidding? Get out of here. Man, our kids, they, they're so beyond that. But are they getting beyond that because of our discipleship or because of their millennialism that says has a higher value of relationship than truth. We need them to have both, relationship and truth. Millennials care more about relationship than truth. They don't care if you're crazy, they just wanna love you. And we've gotta bring them to the truth of the gospel and that love. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. <laughs> grace and truth, that hypostatic grace and truth. We want our kids to have both. We want them to have real relationship based on a real God. Um, and that's this beauty. And so how should we think about it? Man, we can't go cut and paste because we're going to make everything situational. We have the gospel. The gospel is not the answer for sin and salvation only. It's the answer for everything. We didn't get a sociological book to argue evolution. We said in the beginning, God, the Bible said that. We don't, we love our LGBT community, but we stand and say, the Bible says this. I can love you and disagree. Two things can be true at the same time. I love you and I disagree and you must repent and believe the gospel. Like that's what we did. We take the Bible and we show, but when it gets to race, we want to start talking sociological. My, I'm, I'm a Vantillian presuppositionalist. All theology starts with God. So how do I talk about God and race? Man, I gotta open up that Bible. But if, now you talked about going to seminary, Justin. You ain't had probably not nay class on black theologians like a Francis Grimke. Could you imagine if you'd have known about Francis Grimke, could you imagine us understanding these dynamics, how different we would be? Could you imagine if, my white brothers were taught this. Francis Grimke went to seminary in the 1800s, 1870, under Charles Hodge. He has a robust reformed theology and a beautiful, beautiful homiletic that robustly and graciously preaches from a reformed posture, authentic unity in the gospel. Oneness, not sameness. That's the beauty. And so what we have to do is what we're trying to do in Acts 29. We're putting out, I personally gathered a bunch of theologians pre and post emancipation early. You need to, we need to, we need our white brothers and our African-American brothers to learn about them, but our posture, but brother, yeah, so that's one thing. Second thing is every time an issue happens, we got to open the Bible before we open up our social media accounts. We have to answer as Christians. I want to answer as an angry black dude when I see a, a, a black male get murdered by a police illegally. But I, I got to go to God, man. And I got to get that Bible open. And if that's the case, I want, this is what I said to my congregation at Trayvon Martin when Trayvon Martin um, was killed. Guys, I'm angry, but if your posts on social media make Zimmerman scared to come into our church, we failed him and we've dishonored the word of God.
because we are known for receiving murderers, angry people, gender, gender, any gender issues, challenges. We take them all and we preach a good news to them. And so I can't be angry black, Doug. I want to be, and I'm always fighting that dude. And sometimes that dude wins, but I'm trying to be God's son and walk that out. And so I'm saying to you, brother, we got to move out of situationalism and realize the Bible has the answer. And if that's the case, then I should have a relaxed posture. And when Paul walked into the city in Acts 17, man, this is what he said. He was provoked by no Jesus. So me and you have to insert Jesus into the situation. We are liquid in culture. Me and you Christians are liquid. We get everywhere with our gospel. We get everywhere. But if we go in with the agenda, that's not a gospel agenda. I'm not talking about some fuzzy non-black or white. No, I'm an African-American all day. On Black Friday, I was already black. And so um, I'm African-American everywhere I go. And I'm not erasing culture. I don't want some mushy brown after mixing all the crayons together. Nah, I'm saying I'm a Bible boy too. So I'm going to step in as a Bible boy and show the scriptures. And we're going to hold people accountable to the scriptures. We're not going to let them get away with their sociological mumbo jumbo and try to what about ism and all that stuff. We're not doing that. That's not how we play. But I'll say this much. When I do that, am I safe in in the evangelical landscape to still preach and, and when my book get dropped, when I start pushing back against voices that um, are saying opposite? I don't know. I kind of do, no. Loritz wrote about it in his book, Insider Outsider. I'm an inside, but I'm an outsider. So we gotta be Bible boys and um, yeah, we got to be Bible boys. And our posture, Justin, is pastoral. I'm not a sociologist arguing for right. I'm a pastor trying to bend people to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. My priority is that Jesus would be glorified in my words, seasoned with salt, Larry seasoned salt gospel on it, then correcting the word of God tells me in, in the pastoral epistles for correction and reproof that we might win them. I want to win them. I don't want to beat them. I want to win them. <laughs> and so when we enter the argument in those times of cultural and racial unrest, we got to be pastors, not sociologists. And we got to win the dude who hates black people. We got to win the angry African-American who hates white people. Why? Because we're pastors. Our win is when they get smacked with Jesus. <laughs> and when they do, but we have a discipleship problem. I, I didn't learn that in seminary. I learned that because my wife is white and my parents didn't like her, me marrying a white girl and her parents didn't like her marrying a black dude. So I was baptized into figuring out the gospel and race. But how many others are? How many others are even mentioned? How often is gospel and race mentioned in our seminaries, in our church plants, in assessments, in, in, in books? How much is that required? Could you have in denominational ordinations? Could, we won't have it in Acts 29, listen to me. Could a racist with racial, theological, with bad, unbiblical views about race make it into some of these denominations based on their ordination? Yes, yes. So how come our assessments and ordinations aren't geared against racism? Like we, we always looking for the guy that doesn't understand Jesus. We always looking for the guy who has bad Christology. We always looking for the guy who doesn't understand the Trinity. We always looking for the guy that doesn't get it. So we got all these gatekeepers around for that. But could a racist sneak in past our ordination? Yes, they can we don't have one question often no ordination about race in the gospel yeah that's good man doug and samuel Choi, who's a friend here who lives in my community just just posted something that you can check out also he says here's an example of something that doug is talking about so 
I want to comment here and then I want to open it up to you guys. If you want to, we've got about 10 minutes left. We asked Doug for an hour of his time. And, but you know, I, I want to, I didn't prepare this comment, but I'm going to say it anyways. And then I want to ask you if you have any questions. Now, look, we've only got 10 minutes because we're committed to be done at the top of the hour. Put them in the QA and we'll at least get to a couple of them, or perhaps it can form a foundation for another meeting. Listen, um, I've known Doug for many years. It's been about 15 years now. <clears throat> and and um, there are battles going on on social media over race issues and the church and race issues and critical race theory. And there are battles going on in seminaries. And, you know, I read two books on critical race theory this year, not written by Christians, but written by critical race theorists, uh, because I wanted to understand all of that and be able to dialogue intelligently about it. Let me tell you this. Doug and I sat down and had dinner, maybe we've had dinner many times, but this was five or six years ago. We were at Ceviche in Louisville, Kentucky, we're on Bardstown Road. And, uh, and it's quite a few years ago, maybe even longer than that, six or seven years ago. And, and we spent three hours with me understanding Doug's experience as an African-American growing up in Patterson, New Jersey, as an African-American pastor in Camden, New Jersey. He was a barber for 10 years before that. If you need a haircut, you know, he charges $150 an hour. So, Amen. So, but um, one of the things that I just want to stress is that I have learned and grown so much through a personal relationship and dialogue with Doug. As I have, you know, as we've taken these issues away from social media and I'm having personal dialogues. With a, with a brother and a friend. Like Doug and I have traveled together all over the world. We've been to England together multiple times and Germany, and we've been in Hawaii and spoken at, spoken at conferences together. Siberia. And, <laughs> so be, we've been all over the place, man, I'll tell you what. And so I just want to encourage you, as you are navigating issues of race in your church, how do I navigate these things pastorally? How do I, these are not all political conversations. They are pastoral conversations. And I want to encourage you uh, I want to encourage you um, to be having dialogues with people, not throwing everything out on social media. Now, as we begin to wrap up, and if you have any questions, throw it up here, Doug. I want to give you a chance to talk about a couple of book projects you're working on right now. You, I know you're writing a lot. So what are you doing right now in terms of book projects? Just and where can we learn more about what you're teaching and saying? Yeah, man. Well, um, the project I'm working on now is, Grimke sermons from John chapter four, the woman at the well, um, as he seeks to understand racism in the country around, I think he preached those sermons in like 1915, right before the Spanish flu. And so I just collected those, took the Elizabethan off of them, put some CSB on them and wrote a little forward to it. Um, by God's grace, um, Lionel Ritz is gonna write the forward for me and I want to get that one out. Another one I'm writing is 12 Essentials of a Church Planter. Um, Jeff, Jeff Metters, my good friend, is helping me with that one. And um, those are just the things, Brian, of you know we travel around the world and those 12 things are often the thing that kills a church because it kills the pastor first if they don't have some of those or if they're failing at one of those. So I'm working on that. Um, and these here, Frank, the works of Francis Grimke, one of the only African-American pastors with the works, um, um, working now with um, Lexham Press to get those published and make them readily available because they're out of print. So yeah, and um, I just wrote for CSB on Oneness Not Sameness um, that they're going to be using on their blog and how to, you know, I love working with CSB. They are just um, very, very loving and they're just great collaborators. And um, yeah, so I love working with them. And um, man, we've got a host of Grimke Urban books that are gonna be coming out. And then just my, with, and that's just the Grimke side, actually and I, man, we are gonna be flooding the airwaves with some great resources to help planners really dig in from some urban practitioners that are going, not just urban practitioners, but practitioners, period, that are gonna help um, this next crop be able to plant, hopefully do way better than me and Brian. Uh, me and Brian use bubble gum and shoestrings. We're praying, man, that that bubble gum and shoestring story will help them not do it with bubble gum and shoestrings and right. um, do that. So those yeah. are some of those things. And 
Awesome. And I'll just say as we wrap, and then I'll toss it to Justin here uh, to kind of give us a preview of where we're headed. But um, what, what I want to say uh, here is I want to say, um, listen, we've got a lot to learn here. And I, you know, I work with Doug quite closely and uh, he's a dear friend. He's a man that I respect. He's a man that I learn from. He's a man that I feel like mentors me in many ways. And um, I, I, I've been saying to Doug, Doug lately, you're not an urban leader, you're a global leader. And so I really want to encourage you, like these, these you know, Doug is unearthing the works of Francis Grimke and republishing these works, you know, which is amazing. So Doug's first book, I think was called On the Block. Is that right, Doug, from back right, in the day? Right. So you can pick up that book on Amazon, On the Block. You can look for the, Doug has actually several publishing projects in the works publishing books by Tony Morita, by Matt Chandler, by Adam Ramsey, getting books published um, for church planners and church leaders that, that we feel like need to get done. So I just want to, there's Doug's book right there. Rachel already threw it into the chat. Fantastic. So, so anyways, I just want to say, man, I'm this, this is, this feels only like an introduction. It feels like we're, when we first asked you to come on, I thought we're going to have an hour with Doug. It's going to be awesome. Now I feel like, man, we need six more hours. Like we just, <laughs> we just had an introduction, which is great. Um, but I also want to encourage those of you here with us on Pastor Guide today. Um, let this just be an introduction. Maybe what you start to do is you start to have more dialogues. You start to learn and you start to read and you start to grow in some of these areas. Because, man, we are living in in the U.S. in particular, where most of you live, we're living in difficult and divided times oftentimes around some of these issues. And I'm thankful for my African-American pastor friends like Tyler St. Clair and Doug Logan and Derek Puckett and guys that I just feel like and Steve Ross and Leon Scrump, guys that, that I love and I'm thankful for. And I'm thankful that we are learning from our African-American pastor friends who are teaching us things oftentimes that we didn't know. Now, as I look at who's here today, We've got Korean Americans on this call and Filipino Americans on this call. I mean, I see Paul Peely is here, my friend from Long Beach. And so we've got uh, we've got Hispanic Americans on this call. Like we've got a lot of different people here today. So I'm thankful that we can dialogue around these things. Justin, let me toss it to you. Give us a preview of where we head, we're headed, wrap us up and send us on, I guess. Yeah. Justin, you got uh, another nice books back there for the record. Yeah, what? you like that? I, I didn't write any of them though. So um <laughs> Uh, yeah, Doug, great to be with you. Just so you know, we got through about half the questions Brian and I asked. Uh, I'm so sorry, man. No, oh. no, no, no. We should have known better. You got too much good stuff to say. So, uh, man, it's good to have you, though, uh, and just want to keep learning from you. Uh, for, for the next couple of weeks, we are getting back at our ongoing training series. Our goal at Pastor Guide is to help you be better at your job. And, and give you training that oftentimes many of these seminaries we've been talking about just don't give you the practical stuff sometimes. And I know Grimke is aiming to be different about that. We want to be a part of that kind of ecosystem of helping you guys get better at your job. So next week, we're going to talk about um, how to grow your church and, and specifically team priorities, staff priorities, how to get everybody moving in the same direction. So to, uh, depending on how big your team is and, and team being staff team, volunteers, just getting everybody moving in the same direction to be more effective. It's a huge piece of what we need to do to see our churches grow. Uh, the week after that, we're going to keep talking about personal scheduling and management and get into the nitty gritty. That's one of the things we want to be able to take things down to the lowest possible level so that you have something to go do right now right? That, that we're not just talking about big ideas. We want you to have something to go do, some homework to get better today uh, as a leader. So thanks again to Doug and Brian and all you guys on this call. And uh, we will see y'all next week. See you next week, everybody. Thanks, Doug.